our season kickoff guest palooza is about to continue with a man who said that Michigan is his choice to win the national championship. That's PFS Trevor Sikama coming up here on this Locked On Wolverines. You are Locked On Wolverines, your daily podcast on the Michigan Wolverines, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Happy Tuesday. We are back and doing it as promised. Locked on Wolverines podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. I'm your man on the ground, Isaiah Hole, publisher of Wolverines Wire. This over here is Trevor Sikama from PFF. And I think he's got a lot of things that I would expect Michigan fans to be excited to hear about because he and Max Chadwick put out their release of who is their national championship winner. And both of them, and I know Max is like Max was on the podcast in the spring and he he said it back then. Trevor was kind of surprised to hear that you had Michigan as your national championship favorite. First off, thanks for joining us, man. No, I appreciate you having me back on. Uh, love the show. Love any time that we get to link up and get to talk some ball. But look, I know that expectations of a national championship in college football are sometimes scary because you realize that you basically have to run the table and that you can't mess up at any point throughout the season, or it might be over for you. Maybe Michigan's got a little bit more leniency because they are such a talented team. They're starting pretty high in the rankings and then they have a chance to play a couple of pretty good opponents. And so uh, maybe you could falter one game, but anytime you have national championship expectations, there's always a ton of pressure, but Michigan should have them. I mean, let's be honest. They should have played for the national championship last year. They should have beat TCU. If they play that game another nine times to make it an even 10, Michigan probably wins all nine. At least they're probably winning eight of them. They were the better team. It just, the ball bounced so many ways for TCU to end up winning that game. Uh, And I feel like this Michigan team this year is still supremely talented. You know, I think that they're going to have a fantastic ground game with the two Bax and Quorum and Edwards, I think that uh, J.J. McCarthy could very well take that next big step as a quarterback to where we're going to be talking about him, not just as a Heisman candidate, but also a, a first-round NFL draft pick. Love a lot of the guys that they still have on the defensive side of the ball. And so this is one of the most talented teams in the country. And I know that they have a couple of games that you can point to throughout the schedule and say, okay, these could be resume boosters. But overall... Big Ten's not the strongest conference, and so they have a pretty easy path to perfection if that is even a sort of thing. Obviously, they got to go through Ohio State, but because of the schedule, because of the familiarity of opponents, because of a lot of the players coming back, I think they're going to be a college football playoff team. And when I kind of broke it down sitting here in August, uh, I came out with them as the national champions. Well, that that's certainly something that we discuss on this show all the time, but nationally that isn't usually, aside from, from you two over at PFF, but aside from maybe like Reese Davis at ESPN, which he's going hard the other way after last year where he was not that high on Michigan. Uh, certainly it, it it's mostly Alabama, Georgia, you know, Ohio State, LSU are, are the teams that tend to get that love. But like you mentioned the schedule, but what, what about that, the personnel? excites you like who do you look at on this roster and say that's a national guy that can help you win a national championship more than some others who are those game changers that you see obviously you have to be great in the passing game in order to 
put up enough points when it comes to those championship games, right? Whether it's conference championship game or whether it's uh, college football playoff, the national championship, whatever it is. But I feel like McCarthy, where I still think he has to grow a lot as a passer, especially when it comes to play under pressure. He's got to feel the pocket a lot better. I just got done doing summer scouting a couple of months ago with quarterbacks. And because McCarthy is draft eligible, he's somebody that I watched. And there's a ton of arm talent there. You like what you've got um, for a lot of the tools of him as a passer. But how he navigated the pocket under pressure, you know, anticipation, that internal clock in the back of his head, like that's something that still definitely needs to take a next step this year. But if you think that's going to happen, I think he can elevate the passing offense sort of himself and in the backfield in college football when you've got two guys like Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards I mean you can beat most opponents in college football just with those two guys and of course they're rushing behind one of the best offensive lines in the country and I think that that needs to be noted as well but the fact you know I, I would have been excited about this Michigan team if Corum had left to go to the NFL but the fact that he's back you have this two-headed rushing attack, and I mean, I, this is the best running back backfield in the country, without question. And so when you can rely on your ground game as much as Michigan, I think, is going to be able to this season, your floor as a team is so much higher because you don't need to be this incredible, through-the-air, air-rate type of passing attack in order to put a ton of points on the board. To me... Michigan could score like 30 points a game just by focusing on the ground game because of how talented their running backs are. And anytime you can keep things that simple, to me, it just spells out your margin for error is so much wider than it is for some other teams. I like a lot of the studs that they have on the defensive side of the ball too. You know, Chris Jenkins Jr., Junior Colson, Rob Moore, those guys, and a few more. I think that there's so much talent there on both sides of the ball that uh, you look at that schedule and it basically comes down to what it came down to last year. You beat Ohio State, you're in the driver's seat, right? And I think that that's that they're going to be in that same situation again. You mentioned a lot of those those players that Michigan fans certainly expect, and and maybe nationally a lot of those names come up or are starting to more and more. But is there anyone, as you've been kind of watching Michigan and doing your research, is there anyone, whether it's someone who was already on the team, whether it's a guy who has transferred in that you that you have circled and say, this is a guy that I'm taking a look at. This is a guy that I'm I'm really interested to see what he does this year. Yeah, I mean, so somebody just from a draft perspective, because, you know, a lot of the guys that I've watched for Michigan this summer are draft eligible guys, but um, their nickel cornerback, Mike Sandstill, like he's fun, man. I, I was not even going to watch him. He was not even on my radar to watch until I think it was a Michigan fan tweeted at us um, for our podcast. And he was like, hey, I know this guy's probably not going to be like a first or second round pick, but can you watch Sandstrom? Like he is just a spark plug. He is just this energy dude in the secondary. I was like, all right, I love watching players like that. So I turned him on and that was exactly the case. And so like, I already knew a little bit about Rob Moore. I knew about Chris Jenkins Jr. Knew about Junior Colson. Those guys were fun to watch throughout the process. But then when I threw, uh, when I threw Mike on, I was like, this is the type of nickel corner that you absolutely love to have on your team. I mean, he is ferocious attacking the ball. If you're asking him to blitz, he's great at that. He'll get up in the wide receiver's face. I just love that kind of mentality that he uses to go up against all sorts of players that you face in the slot. Because when you are a slot corner, 
you got to be fearless. I mean, you might be going up against a, sh- a, a shorter, quicker, shiftier guy one second, a wide receiver one, this big X wide receiver who they happen to shift in to the slot one play. Maybe it's a tight end. And you got to be okay with matching up against all of those guys. And Sanchez is one of those dudes who I feel like is up to every single challenge. And it embodies the attitude of, I think, what that Wolverines defense is. So he was a player that I'm I'm still very, very excited to watch this upcoming season because he's got a lot of versatility, a lot of talent. He was somebody that I did not really have on my radar going into things that only fortified me liking this Michigan defense even more. Well, I have a bunch of more questions for you, especially since you you're looking at college football at large and you picked Michigan of all teams. I'm curious about the field. I've got a couple more questions about Michigan. We're going to continue on with that part of the conversation with Trevor Sycamore from PFF in just one moment. Before we do that, uh, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Certainly, we have all gone through some periods where we might need just that extra boost. We might need someone to talk to, someone that can help us through. We, we go through tough times as humans in this life. Uh, sometimes we are faced with tough choices and the path forward isn't always clear. So whether you're dealing with decisions around career, relationships, anything else, therapy helps you stay connected, which you really want to navigate uh, in life. So you can move forward with that confidence, with that excitement that is necessary. Trusting yourself to make decisions that align with your values is like anything. The more you practice it, the more the easier that it gets. Uh, if you're someone who's gone through therapy, I've seen so many people helped by therapy become completely different people through therapy or more so enhance their life in the sense that they are able to get over those roadblocks. Whether you've not, uh, whether or not you have gone through therapy personally, uh, I know it's something that is beneficial. I know it is something that can help. There are so many avenues to just the way we navigate through life that it's, it's a challenge to be a human. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, I'll tell you one thing, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and you'll get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash college today to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash locked on college. All right, we are continuing on with Trevor Sikama from PFF. I wanna briefly just kind of go over and I, I should have had this ready to go, but I closed my window like a smart person always does. Uh to have your top uh your top four. And clearly I, I've completely I've completely lost it. I got the PFF preseason team saved. I've got all these other things. I can uh, tell you what it is. All right. Yeah. Tell me what it is. Cause I had it up and then I closed it as I was so, navigating through here. This is my, the, my college football playoff predictions, right? My, my, the, is that what you're talking about? Those yeah, four? Yeah. The, the four. Yeah. So I had, cause I got it pulled up too. I have Michigan at one. So I'm predicting that Michigan runs the table. And if Michigan runs the table, wins the big 10 championship, I think they'll be the number one seed. I had LSU at two because I think that LSU is going to win the SEC championship. And then I have Florida State at three. I think they're going to be ACC champions. And then I have Georgia at number four because I think that Georgia is going to play LSU for the SEC championship. And because Georgia's ranked number one, if they end up going into the SEC championship game, 
they're going to still be ranked number one. And so a loss to LSU is probably not going to be enough to bump them out of the top four. So that's the way that I saw it. I got two SEC teams going in, Michigan at one, LSU two, Florida State three, and then Georgia at number four. That's how I see it happening. Yeah, I, I wanted to look that up because I, I got confused for a second as to which one, if you were the one that had Michigan at one or if uh, it was Max that did. I know Max then has Michigan at number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I was curious about with both of yours is that you have the SEC, the two SEC teams and yours. Neither of you have two Big Ten teams, while a lot of people are saying the Big Ten can get two. Maybe Big Ten can get three, you know, type of thing. And uh, I understand that it's a very top-heavy conference at this moment. I personally don't have more than one Big Ten team going into the college football playoff. But I want to know, why don't you have Ohio State or Penn State in there? So, to me... When I look at the preseason rankings, the three teams that would have a chance to me to make the college football playoff from the Big Ten is Michigan and Ohio State, Penn State. And I haven't looked at each of their schedules individually recently, but to me, like if any of those three teams run the table, win the Big Ten championship, I think any of them are in. But I don't think the runner up would also be in. I just, I just feel as though. You've got too many SEC teams that are the powerhouses. You've got Georgia starting the season at number one. You've got Alabama starting the season at number four. And you got LSU starting the season at number five. You then have, I mean, there's there's other ranked SEC teams as you go a little bit further down. Tennessee is 12. Um, Ole Miss is 22. Texas A&M is 23. And there's going to be some other SEC teams that kind of fluctuate within the top 25 too. So I always just feel... The thing that the Big Ten has against them is as the season gets going, it just feels like more SEC teams specifically get upped into those rankings where you start to have bigger resume builders for your wins in the SEC and the losses don't look nearly as bad. So I know the Big Ten is a little bit stronger this year, especially with all three of those teams that I mentioned within the top 10. I think that that's a really good sign for them. So there's potential there. but. I just keep going back to the fact that I do think the SEC is still the most talented conference in the country. And when you look at a conference that has the potential to get two teams in, they're going to have a greater chance to play teams that are higher in the rankings. So that, like I said, the wins look better and the losses don't look as bad. So that's why I lean towards the SEC still being the conference that gets two teams in just because I feel like those uh, cumulative rankings are going to be higher in that conference than the other ones. The, those were all the wrong answers. I didn't want to tell you that while you were <laughs> speaking. The re, the correct answers are Ohio State is garbage. James Franklin is going to get, score no touchdowns, only field goals <laughs> all season long because he loves field goals, especially sad ones. He does love field goals. Uh, no, I I the way I look at it is, uh. I, I did look at their schedules recently. I did predictions of every team. Uh, I was kind of surprised myself that I have Ohio State losing three games this year. I just feel like it's a type of year where they could, right? Like they have, this is a program that has had very few misses over the course of the last, really you could go back 50, 60 years, but in the last two decades particularly, and the last decade and a half, I mean, they've gone Braxton Miller to JT Barrett to Dwayne Haskins to Justin Fields to CJ Stroud. And now I'm kind of like, you know, they're in a quarterback quandary. They don't know if it's going to be, if it's going to be 
uh, Kyle McCord or uh, Devin Brown. And I feel like right. that's not a good sign at this stage, right? Usually they have their guy chosen. Uh, and certainly we've seen teams find their quarterback midseason. I mean, heck, TCU didn't even start uh, start Max uh, at until... Yeah, Max Duggan, right. Yeah, until until uh, they had to. So certainly a team can find itself, but I feel like this is the type of year where Ohio State actually could take a step back. Yeah, and this could be the case for a lot of teams that are in the top 10, right? I think that we're getting a little carried away with just assuming some of these top dogs are going to remain top dogs at the end of the season. And I use that kind of full pun intended when I talk about Georgia. Like everybody has Georgia as the number one team in the country. and. I get it. George is still supremely talented. And you want to give them their respect, but they're starting a new quarterback and they lost so many players to the NFL draft over the last two years. Like I know that they're still talented. They still have really good players. I scouted a bunch of them this summer, but to me to just think, Oh yeah, George is going to be there in the end. That's, that's not nearly as much of a guarantee. You know, they named Carson Beck the starter, but he hasn't been the starter before. So that's going to be a mystery for them. Alabama, we don't even know who Alabama's quarterback is going to be, so that goes into it. Ohio State's the same way. LSU, okay, they're starting Jalen Jalen Daniels or Jaden Daniels, excuse me. USC, they're starting Caleb Williams, but I think USC's defense is not good enough for them to make the college football playoff this year. I, I just do not think that that's the case. Penn State, all right, they're starting a guy that they like. We know who their quarterback is, but we haven't really seen Drew Aller, Drew Aller yet, you know, so who who knows exactly what he's going to be in a full schedule. Clemson's the same way. Okay, they're starting Kate Klubnick, but there's a big mystery there. Florida State has Jordan Travis, and I'm very confident that that offense is going to be one of the best in the country. But you look throughout that top 10, and to me, there's going to be more parity this year than we've seen in recent memory because those top teams that were used to just being established programs we don't know what their quarterback situation is going to be. And when you're not, maybe some of them strike gold. You know, maybe Drew Aller is absolutely phenomenal and, and he catches fire. Maybe uh, the same can be said with Carson Beck at Georgia. But we don't know that. And there's a chance that both Georgia and Alabama could really falter because of the lack of success that they might have at the quarterback position. That opens up a couple more spots for other teams to kind of climb in there. So, I think that this year, more than others, is going to be a a chaotic season. And as Game of Thrones taught us anything, chaos is a ladder. So we can see teams take advantage of that opportunity. Absolutely love it. Uh, We've got our own little finger over here. And Trevor Sikama, PFF, uh, one last question for you. uh, Because all of these teams you just mentioned have have some pretty significant questions, right? Uh, Some more than others. Uh, you know, you, we talked about Ohio State's quarterback. We talked about, you know, the same thing, you know, Georgia, all their losses, Alabama, all of these teams have these questions. I look at Penn State and I, as much as people are, are loving their offensive line, I, I I understand there's one really dominant player there in Olufashunu, but I, I question the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, wh- that said, what questions do you have about Michigan at this point? Like, what, what do you think you, you go into this season and you say, well, I still want to see this from them, aside from, like you mentioned, the J.J. McCarthy pocket awareness. Yeah, and and going back to it, it, it sort of has to do with the way that I talked about McCarthy before, um, and that is who's going to be the dominant pass catchers on this team? Like, who are going to be the dynamic 
pass catchers because that to me is the big difference. If I'm just looking at the depth chart now, like Roman Wilson, okay, Cornelius Johnson, those guys are seniors. You got Darius Clemens. I like Colson Loveland as well from the tight end spot, so I'm expecting a nice year from him. But somebody's got to really step up. Multiple people, let's be honest, have to step up in a major way. And I mentioned how high the floor is for Michigan because of how talented their running back room is. How high the ceiling is will come down to who can really step up and how much they're going to step up from those pass catchers. So that, that to me is really going to hold the key to whether or not Michigan deserves to be some of those favorites for the national championship is, is whether or not those pass catchers can really become a dynamic group, one of the better groups in college football. So you got the offensive line, you got the running backs and I think the defense is going to be good enough. You got a ton of nice athletes. You got a good mix of, uh, upperclassmen and underclassmen there on the defensive side of the ball. If McCarthy takes that next step, it really, to me, just comes down to, do you have the playmakers in the passing game to beat the best teams once it comes to that Ohio State rivalry week, Big Ten championship, and then two college football playoff games? All right, Trevor. Well, thank you so much uh, for, for joining, and we'll certainly talk throughout the season. And hopefully, uh, like the last couple of years, we were able to talk a little Tampa Bay football. I don't know how much I'll be paying attention that now that the goat is gone. So I'm curious to see how they do, but I'm, I'm, I'll still have to tune in if for no other reason than to have our off camera fodder that we've had talking about uh, the bucks, but thanks again for joining us. Of course, my friend, anytime. That's Trevor Sikama from PFF. Thanks to him for joining. Uh, awesome stuff that he does and they do over there. And we won't necessarily have a, weekly pff like we did a couple years ago but we will do more hopefully than we did last year when we kind of started strong and fizzled out uh but uh it's always good to get their insight i know that there's some mixed feelings sometimes but they've usually been more right than not i said that on the on three board because someone pointed out when uh when they had said that this is their prediction like oh but is pff usually right well in in following them closely yes they generally are uh there there are moments in which they are not just like anyone uh because they play games for a reason right otherwise they, this would all be settled through computers the bcs era never would have ended um so we're going to continue on here in just a moment we're going to talk a little bit about uh what jim harbaugh had to say about missing uh missing the season and some of my quick thoughts as well on his uh his opening monologue yesterday talking about revenue sharing. We'll do that in here in a moment. Get ready for the NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers can bet $5 to get 200 in bonus bets. Guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. That's a heck of a deal. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use, and you can bet on everything from spreads to player props and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off NFL season with an offer you do not want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, we're going to take a few more moments here to discuss. Uh, didn't I, My plan was to have Trevor on for all 30-ish minutes or 25 minutes or whatever. But at the same time, we do have some things to talk about of what happened yesterday. So let's start off with uh, Jim Harbaugh came on and gave a full-throated 
defense of the idea of saying that these players, student athletes across college athletics need to be a part of revenue sharing now, he says. Didn't have any specifics as to about how that was going to happen. To some degree, I, I don't know that it was as full-throated and of a well-thought-out plan as he's had with some other things that he's proposed. The 16-team playoff, the transfer, uh, one-time transfer exception, NIL, all these things that he's talked about throughout the years. Uh, I, I feel like he had a firmer grasp on those. Uh, that said, I also don't think he's wrong at all. I just don't know how it will get implemented, but it is especially when you see uh, all of these conferences or these teams jumping conferences and conferences, you know, realigning and reimagining themselves. I mean, it's all because of money, right? It, it has nothing to do with, hey, this is the, the ideological, uh, what have you, makes more sense uh, with, you know, the being a, a USC going to the Big Ten. That's not the case. And it's certainly not, as Seth Fisher said yesterday when we spoke at the uh, uh, Greater Detroit Alumni Association kickoff dinner, uh, it's not about academics anymore. Otherwise, Cal and Stanford would be in the Big Ten, right? And the fact that they're just sitting out there languishing, looking for a new home is proof that it's not about academics as it once was. That's all gone by the wayside at this point. Um, so... Uh, I do think with everything being about lining the pockets of those the schools and corporate executives and all of those people, I do think it is time uh, that the players, you know, I mean, they're making money off the backs of the players and things have changed from what they were. Jim Harbaugh noted like back in the day, there was one game that was televised, you know, a week and now every single game is that's accurate. Right. And certainly that the only, I think the downside there is, if you're a smaller school, if you have an opportunity to go to, you know, say like, I, I don't know, I don't have a good school to, to name here. Like if you're, if you're looking to go to like a UCF, like a, a, a team that just joined the Big 12, uh, certainly we've seen players choose to go to UCF over going to like Michigan, you know, or other bigger schools here and there. You know, I, I, if you're a lo local kid who grew up outside of Lawrence, Kansas, you might end up wanting to go to Kansas if you if you uh, are in the SEC. Sure, all the SEC teams are getting a lot of money, but maybe you have a better opportunity with the mix of the revenue sharing as well as NIL. But if you were one of those five-star guys that's going to Mizzou to instead choose a different school, choose a Big Ten school if, if the payout's higher, to, to choose, the, uh, choose a school that's also going to line your pockets with more NIL money things of that nature. So there's just a lot to really consider. I think what's interesting about uh, the timing of this for Jim Harbaugh is it, it felt really planned. I don't feel like be, you know reading some message boards that anyone kind of recognized that this was to me like, why now? And he says, well, you know, because this is something I've talked about and it's something that needs to be addressed now. I think it's more because just the timing of like, hey, I'm going to be sus you know suspended for three games. I still can't talk about the NCAA. This is also a way to basically come right directly at the NCAA. It's like to, to, to change the media narrative to some degree, I feel like, was what Harbaugh was doing here. I think he did a pretty good job of that, honestly, because the next 10 minutes were all about that. And then finally, it was what's it not going to be like on the sidelines? And he's like, it's, you know, it says it, it's some people say it's a slap on the wrist, but it's a kind of more of a baseball bat to the kneecaps. It really is in so many ways for a guy who is a quintessential rule follower Right. Like that. this is why Ryan Day said, hang a, you know, we're going to hang a hundred on him is because 
Uh, Jim Harbaugh called him out for not following the rules. Uh, the intent to deceive penalty got him so angry because he felt like he was within the rules. He's always been such a stickler for the rules. So he doesn't feel like he did anything to break them. I think that's evident regardless of whether he broke the rules or not. He doesn't feel like he did anything to break them. And so the the punishment, certainly you can tell it gets at him. But he does, like he said, he does, I don't know. When he last, like, what are you going to do? I don't know. I might. I might go and if uh, my son has a football game at the same time, I'll probably go and, and watch that instead of watching Michigan, which is kind of a weird thing to think. His team might be on the field on Saturday, and he might not. I mean, sure, he'll probably have his phone there and watching Peacock that way or something like that. But um, it's uh, it's going to be it's going to be odd, I think, just even just being down on the field. And normally it's like one of the first things that we look for is Jim Harbaugh. The other thing we look for are the recruits and the recruits aren't going to be there, which makes sense because. The, you know, these coaches have enough to worry about as far as the game planning of it all. And then adding the added you know element of trying to host recruits and, you know, hey, we're going to try to woo you to Michigan and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, that's not going to be there. I, for one, love it for the sake of I will have nice and open and empty sidelines in the pregame, hopefully. Probably not. I say that and it's probably going to be more packed than ever. And I'm going to be sitting there and agoraphobic and claustrophobic as I tend to be in the pregame. <laughs> anyway. All right, so that's my basic quick thoughts. We're going to continue on the Gustapalooza starting uh, tomorrow. We've got Mike Golick Jr. rejoining the show back by popular demand. People were actually at saying, like, I hope you get him back on before the season after, because uh, uh, last year it was like, you know, what is he doing on here? <laughs> He's a domer. Now people are starting to love him. So uh, we're going to bring him back on tomorrow. We'll do the mailbag on uh, Thursday and we will preview the show on Friday. I don't know if we're going to have our, our our planned guest that was going to go every week. I don't know if we're going to have him on Friday or not. We're st- I'm still still working on that. We'll see. But uh, that's the plan for the rest of the week. Then we got a game day and uh, we'll see if we can figure out uh, now that I don't live a mile away from the stadium and now that I live for, uh, 40 miles away from the stadium, I, we'll see if we do post games. That, that would be nice. That, that would be uh, ideal. Don't know how logistically that's going to work. But anyway, that is the plan. Uh, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. We will be back on Wednesday with Mike Golick Jr. Peace. Peace.